It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. As always, your hosts are here, Jerry and Steve. Jerry, you're here, right? I am here. Thanks for being here. You're there. I'm here. Yeah, as usual, you're there. I'm here. One of these days, we're going to be together again. I'm hoping. That's right. Sounds like a song. (laughs) It is a song. You can find (laughs) us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are The Rush Cast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. We love the emails we're getting from you. Please keep them coming. We're available on your favorite podcast app. Rate us, please. We love that. And the bass intro, as always, done by our good pal Lex. It's one of the greatest bassists that's ever lived. That's true. And he's working for us for free. Wow. How cool is that? It's very cool. When we start making money, we'll put him on the payroll for sure. <laughs> that's right. Or should I say, if we start making money? Yeah, I was going to say, don't, Lex, don't hold your breath. <laughs> don't, don't make any plans to buy anything soon. <laughs> hold off on big purchases. I don't have a Twitter poll for us today, Jer. Okay. So why don't we get right into the emails? I hear you have a, a tremendous email to read. I really like this email. And it's a little long, so maybe it'll take the place of the, of the Twitter poll. All right, cool. It's from Tim Gorman. All right. He says, I have seen Rush 44 times. Wow. And I've been very lucky when it comes to this band. During the Power Windows tour, a friend of mine worked at the doors at the Joe Lewis Arena and could get in the door as many people for $5 a head. That's when I started to see them both nights if they played two nights in Detroit. Wow. Got the surprise of my life during the Presto tour. We sat row one, side stage, and the show was awesome. After the show, the girls that were with me started talking to someone from the crew and the next thing I knew we were walking backstage we got a behind the stage tour and a used drumstick from Neil's kit wow and we talked about that not too long ago that Neil would give drumsticks to fans right then we were asked if we had plans for the night and we ended up on the tour bus from the palace of Auburn Hills what to the hotel yeah and then to the bowling alley what? Yes. Yes. I went bowling with Rush and their crew. No, he didn't. That's what this email says. Wow. That is lucky. He's more than lucky. Yeah. Says, uh, all the food you could eat, all the beer and bottles of Dom Perignon you could drink. So I helped myself to some food and who was standing next to me? Getty. Wow. He was reaching for some broccoli and said hi to me. I shot doubles in pool against Alex and someone from the crew and Alex was just the greatest. I did spend a few minutes talking to him and thanked him for his time. So that just left me with Neil. I was keeping an eye on him from just knowing how he is with strangers, but I never did get the chance to talk to Neil, but I do still have that drumstick. When the night was winding down, we got back on the tour bus back to the palace to get my car. I got home just in time to take a shower and head to work and went to the show that night. Wow. But there's more. More? During the break, the band was on a local radio station, WRIF, and they had a contest to win lunch with Getty at the station. He didn't win lunch. And I won. Get out of here. I was able to bring three friends with me. Getty was promoting his new CD. Oh, so that's what the break is. The break when Rush wasn't recording when Getty's album came out. Okay. I loaded up the seat. I loaded up with some CDs and tour books and albums, and lunch was just crazy. Getty and Ray Daniels sitting across the table from me, and I just didn't know what to say. 
I started in with the bowling story and was told it laid love doing that when they are in a city for two nights. The next topic was easy. I'm a baseball nut. Getty and I just started talking about baseball and the rest of the group was talking about something else. That time just flew by so fast. I never got a chance to ask any of the music questions I had. I did ask if I could get a few things signed. I think Getty did a double take when he saw the stack of stuff I wanted signed. He looked at Ray and Ray said, wow, you must be a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Both me and my wife said at the same time, you have no idea. Wow. Ray said that we'll start signing and that lunch went by so fast, but it was incredible. How's that for a rush story? What are the chances this guy gets invited to go bowling with rush? Right. Yep. And then wins the contest the next day on the radio station to have lunch with them the next day. No, it wasn't the next day. It was during, maybe the transition was a little different. It, that was during the tour. And then when oh. Getty was doing promos for his solo album, but still, I know what are the chances you're the guy that gets to go bowling with rush. And then you're the guy that wins lunch with rush. Yep. Talk about luck. Yeah. And that's the subject line of his email. Bowling with Rush. I saved that. I didn't want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, the coolest thing about that story, I think, would be shooting pool with Alex. That must have been so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's so funny. He is. That would be crazy. Wow. And, And another part of the story that I identify with, and I always thought this, if I ever meet Getty, I would talk to him about baseball. Because I think that would get him talking and get him out of his, you know, I'm Getty Lee of Rush mode and just talk like two guys talking baseball. Because Getty loves baseball and I love baseball. Yeah, like like this guy in front of me wants to sees me as the, the bassist of Rush and you want to talk to him about baseball. That's really going to put him at ease. Yeah. And, that, and then you talk about Rush. Maybe that's how we get <laughs> Getty on the podcast. We invite him to talk about baseball. What do you think? Yeah. His, you know what a great topic would be? His collection at the Negro Leagues Museum. His collection of baseballs is on display there. Yeah. At the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. That would be a cool thing to discuss with him. It will be. I'll be on the call just because I'll <laughs> chime in every once in a while. I have, I have nothing, nothing to contribute to a conversation about baseball. Well, you, you could do a little bit of research like you do for the podcast. You could do a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> I'll be like... Getty, did you know that the pitcher stands on a little piece of rubber? Did you know that? (laughs) I think he knows that. I think he knows that. (laughs) Well, one day we'll have Getty as a guest, Jer, hopefully. I hope so. But we do have a great guest today, which is very exciting. One of the coolest places to get Rush merchandise, Jer, as you know, is from Fantoons. Yep. The animation studio in Los Angeles. You've seen this, right? Oh, yeah. I would hope so, since we're about to interview this guy. (laughs) (laughs) The creative director of Fantoons is with us, David Calcano. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you very much for the invitation, guys. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. So why don't we start by asking you, David, what is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear about Rush, and how did you become a fan? 
Uh, sure. I was uh, 12 or 13 years old, and, um, you know, I've always been a huge uh, music fan ever since I was a, a little kid, you know. And I had a couple of friends that they had a band, and they were playing a gig, and uh, they were playing this fantastic song, melodic and awesome. And they, when they finished the gig, I asked, that original song that you guys, I mean, what, when did you write it? And that was Subdivisions. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah 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 and they they told me and this was i'm gonna say maybe 90 or 91 i can't remember exactly but yeah that was subdivisions and i asked them well where can i find that on record and they and their, their keyboard player uh who's still a big a huge friend of mine he recommended me show of hands and oh. uh I saved some money because it's not like today, right? That you can hear anything <laughs> immediately. Right. It took time and it took a lot of effort to actually get records. Yeah, I'm old, I know. Uh, <laughs> not as old as we are. <laughs> so, but I bought my CD and I was blown away. Uh, and uh, then I started to kind of go, go further and then he recommended me Roll the Bones, which uh, again, save money. I love bravado, you know, and uh, I bought the record. Uh, Dreamline blew me away, and uh, and that's that was my start. You know, I am a '90s Rush fan. You know, I uh, my one of my top three records is Counterparts. For me, that record blew me away. I mean, I I remember vividly the day I got that record and I played it, and Animate actually was exploding through the speakers man and he was just incredible i stayed on repeat on that song for months you know i love that song i love that record i love everything about it and it just makes me so angry every time i read people despising that record online <laughs> <laughs> we see so many different people loving so many different albums by rush it's, it's i find it amazing that First of all, that Rush has so many different stages that you can appreciate for different things. But that some people love the 80s stuff, some people love the 90s stuff, some people love the 70s stuff. It's all over the place. Yeah, 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 very much. And I think that's why uh, there's, there's so much love uh, out there, you know, for, for the band, because there's a lot to discover. And there's, there's too many layers uh, in, in their music, you know, and... Uh, and that's that's what's great about it. There's always something new to listen that you probably haven't heard before, even if you have the entire discography at your disposal. So, um, David, how did you start Fantunes specifically? Like, what was the melding of, of your love of music and your love of art? Well, it was something like a no-brainer, you know? I, I've always been um, a lover of animation and comics and, and art in general, but... Uh, I was never able to study that. I'm originally from Venezuela in South America, so that's a career that doesn't exist. And I wanted to be a writer, and when I talked to my mom about it, she was like, no effing way. You're not <laughs> gonna you're not gonna be starving on my watch. So you're gonna be either a doctor, an engineer, or you're gonna study business or something like that. And I was like, oh man, this sucks. But then I, I, I did what she asked and I started uh, engineering and I graduated as a systems engineer actually. 
And I was incredibly unhappy. I had a great job. I, I traveled the world. I, I was a technology consultant for media. It was great in many respects, but I was a, an incredibly unhappy person. I didn't want to go to work. My dream was always to create stories and be a, be a storyteller in, in, in a way, right? So when I had the opportunity that I was, when I was living in England, I started uh, studied screenwriting uh, at night uh, while I was working. And uh, when I, I was able to get a residency in the UK, I quit my job and I started Phantoms Animation Studios with absolutely nothing, no experience, nothing, just a business card and books uh, about what I was doing. And uh, I, I had about a year of savings or a little bit more than that. And uh, I started calling, call, calling people and trying to get work in some of the different studios or advertising agencies. And I got nothing, you know, for, for a long time. And uh, I was very close to kind of call it quits. And I started to get work at the very last minute after spending all my savings and trying to get, get people to open the doors for us. And while I was doing that, I started to do uh, a, a comic strip online that combined uh, uh, music and, uh, and, and art. And he was always a fan chasing his favorite artist. Uh, and every time he got close to them, he died, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to read that. Over and over again. So, and, and you know, I, I love a lot of different music genres from Nat King Cole to Sinatra to Rush to Stevie Wonder. And uh, originally the, uh, the comic covered a lot of uh, different genres. But in reality, people not necessarily listen to a lot of stuff. They care about a certain thing or a certain genre, you know, and, and classic rock has always been... Uh, it was always the gate for me to everything else, and it's obviously my it's my it's my favorite genre, and so I started to focus the comic strip on on classic rock, and we started to do a lot of Rush because Rush is one of my favorite bands, and uh, we started to get traction on some of the stuff that we were publishing, and uh, then we started doing a Rush Tuesday, and we started to publish just illustrations about Rush every Tuesday, either parodies or or, or, or more uh, related uh, covers about the band and jokes and things like that. And things started to grow. And I have to give credit to uh, Ed Stenger in Rush is a Band. He started to share our stuff and we started to grow. You know, if it wasn't for him, I don't think we would have been having this conversation. Then it occurred to me that I should do a Kickstarter uh, of a Rush book, you know, if to see if actually... People would be would want to pay for a book with all this weird stuff that we were putting out. And uh, I did a Kickstarter. At that time, uh, my office was the closet of my apartment in L.A. And we did the Kickstarter. Uh, I was incredibly nervous because um, I thought we were going to get 10 cents of what we were asking. Um and it turned out that we actually got 11 times what we originally asked for. And the book was fun, which is insane. You know, I, it was mind boggling to me. In fact, I'll tell you a very funny story about that Kickstarter. Uh, one of the rewards was three little canvases of, of with uh, caricatures of the members of the band. 
And I think I had like 30 of those there, but it was somewhere in the middle. I don't know if you guys are familiar with how Kickstarter works. Yeah. Okay. So for, for people who are not, then you choose what reward do you want? And that's what you get. I mean, when you support a project by somebody else and this particular reward was in the middle and it was not included in sort of in the reward that actually included everything in the campaign. And uh, some people started to ask me for the ones that I were getting the everything package, uh, why didn't I include those little handmade canvases? And I was like, well, you know what? I mean, uh, it's it, we only have 30. And then actually Linda was ha- helping me, my wife, handle all the shenanigans and the logistics of Kickstarter. And I told her, let's include it. Let's have it in everybody. I mean, how many can we sell? And I ended up doing about 1,200 of the little canvases by hand. By hand? Yeah. So, yeah, because it was three per person, you know? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, and so it was great. It It was sort of the main validation for me that I was not crazy pursuing what I was pursuing. Uh, because this is a business that is incredibly hard to make a living out of. And I feel incredibly lucky to be able to make a living out of animation and comics and this kind of weird stuff that still people in my family don't understand what I do, by the way. (laughs) It's extremely hard to explain. Oh, yeah. So you are the one who do the voices. I'm like, no, I'm not the one. (laughs) I'm the one with the pencil. So, So anyway, after this, I mean, in that book, I mean, I had 20 or so different artists that worked with me. I mean, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars uh, putting that book together. Everything I, I had, it was a, a massive risk and uh, I, it paid off because, again, it sort of validated that there was an audience for the weird stuff that we were putting out. And uh, from there on, things started to kind of come together that Kickstarter, by the way, was uh, was not official, which is something that some people don't know. But it was it was very clear in the campaign. It was not official. It was a huge risk. But let's be honest, nobody was going to pay attention to me. I my objective was and has always been to only do official whatever that we do that is approved by the bands that I love. The whole point of Fantunes is to grow the fan base and get people to know the bands that are so great uh, out there and all hopefully and give a little bit more to their legacy and get more people to listen to the music. That is really what, um, what we're trying to do. So you say the book wasn't official. How did your relationship with Rush and Rush's management begin then? I would imagine at some point you are doing official work for Rush now. Absolutely. So the moment I had the book in my hand, I sent it to uh, SRO and uh, I, I got a great response. I got an um, I got an email saying that Getty was aware of our work and I was blown away by that. You know, it was like, I mean, uh, we're just, you know, a group of people. At the time, I think we were probably in the company, we were two people at the time. And uh, I was I was blown away. I always hired artists to work with us on those weekly illustrations that I talked to you about. 
Um, so I send that out and they basically, I sent it in a package and I sent, I think about four or five books. I think I, I sent e one for each member of the band, uh, one for Peggy and one for, uh, uh, Ray Daniels. And, uh, I got a great email back and, uh, well, I, it was a waiting game after that, you know, then, uh, after that I never, I didn't get any, any replies for about six months and I was getting anxious and uh, I started to go into other avenues as well. So I, Eddie Trunk was uh, having a, uh, an event near here in, 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 in California. And I drove for about an hour and a half, two hours. I had a contact that actually connected me with Eddie. I wanted to give him a book and uh, just to get his thoughts and see if he had any other connections to the band to try to move, the, uh, move it forward. I met with Eddie, and uh, the story with Eddie is it's, it's really funny, too. Um, I, I didn't arrange a time with the guy, you know, and because uh, I didn't want to push, like, hey, let's meet at 7 or 8, and I feel like I was, I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be a push, that pushy guy uh, for a specific time. So I, I arrived at the place around 1.30 in the afternoon, and the event was around 7 or 8 or something like that. And uh, I, I wrote him an email, and uh, he, I didn't get a reply. Then it was about 8 o'clock, and we were still waiting there. 9 o'clock, we were still waiting there. And I'm like, oh, man, this meeting's not going to happen. And I was about to leave, and my wife was like, no way. We've been here for six hours or seven hours, whatever it was. You're, we're going to wait. And then Eddie actually wrote back, you know, and say, and he, he, it was not – that he was, uh, he was not a nice guy or by any means. He was just that, you know, I didn't have his phone number and he didn't check his emails on the, until, until that time. And he said, just come through the door. And I just went there. I, I asked at the door for, for Eddie and, he was, and they were like, uh, sorry, you're not on the list. You know, the typical thing. And, uh, and I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do with this? And uh, you guys don't know me, but I, I am not the kind, of, uh, the kind of guy that would sneak into any place. I would normally do my line and, you know, all that s stuff. But this is something, when it's something that you're so passionate about, you start doing insane things to make them happen. And I snuck into the place, which is something <laughs> I've never done in my life. And uh, I snuck in and I found Eddie we connected really well. He's, he's the real deal. He's such a nice guy with me. He loved the book and he sent an email. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I got another email from management saying that the band was going to start selling the book on their store, oh, which wow. was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's not to be able to do this kind of thing. It, you have to risk. I mean, I risk thousands of dollars incredible i mean a lot of hours and and uh you know I, I i there was no there were no regrets i mean if it didn't happen it was not because i didn't put the effort in all the effort was there and if they didn't like it they didn't like it you know but i was not gonna do a half-ass job into something that was my dream you know and then after that i mean i proposed uh to do start doing projects we signed a contract uh with the band and here we are you know we've done I think about four or five books already with, with them and with all, all this crazy little merchandise that uh, that we put together, like cereal boxes and the Major League Basketball mug and, 
you know that that's that's what we do. We I, I we create little little products that I wish there would be out there that nobody does, and hopefully there are other crazy people like like me and the people in the studio that wants to buy them and. And and that's the thing, you know. But but I guess our our big bread and butter will always be animation and and books, you know. We do want to uh, do a graphic novel for all the all the studio albums to see how they were made. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that because I know there are albums that are bigger than others and the demand will be different. But that would be great. I would love to have you know all the twenty studio records as graphic novels and see how they were made and have that documented for for people to go through and enjoy while they listen to the records. Yeah. Now, when you are pitching an idea to Rush or another band, how does that take shape? Like, do you come with them like, this is what I want to do. I want to do graphic novel of how A Farewell to Kings was made. And boom. And that's it. Or do you have to go back and forth? Um. It, it depends, but yeah, I mean, we, I, you know, th- there are, even after having a relationship for this long, you, you don't have much time. Usually these people are incredibly busy, especially management. So you, you gotta come. I go with something that is almost fully shaped, you know, with a, with a very, very complete uh, idea on how things are going to look including drawings, including how are we going to address the story in case of a, of a graphic novel. If it's, for example, a coloring book, I normally go in with pages already done, you know? By the way, I have the coloring book, and I love coloring in it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, we, we love those those little things, and, and we got so many comments from people about how much joy that gives them. And that is really the uh, why we do what we do. So I appreciate it for sure. <laughs> sure. So with the making of A Farewell to Kings, David, why did you choose that particular moment in Rush history? Well, I love the album, no, number one. Uh, secondly, it was the anniversary of the album that was going to come up. And of course, when we were putting together the whole thing, you know, all the all all the, the writing and how the mood was going to be, how the tone was going to work. It was probably double the work that I anticipated uh, to be able to, to do within the time that we have. That's why we released it about a year later, you know, from the 40th anniversary. My plan was to do it a year earlier, but it was just too much work. It was about uh, a year and a half, uh, two years of work. We had to bring people in to, uh, to work on it, to actually give it proper justice. This is an important record in Rush, and even classic rock and prog rock, you know? You're talking about a landmark album in their history that is loved. The first time that actually they had a single that people gave a toss about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, just to answer the question, it was, it's a really... It's a record that I love that is absolutely beautiful. It marks sort of their new beginning after 2112. And I thought it was a cool moment to to start, again, tying it in with the anniversary and everything. Like I said, it didn't work out that way. So we started that. And in my mind, since our plan is to do all of them, I think all of the different albums, they have such a great story behind them. But we, we started there for that reason. So uh, I hope that answered the question. Or Oh, absolutely. 
So, David, you interviewed Alex and Terry Brown for the book, and I, I loved how Alex's sense of humor shone through in the book. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, for 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 us, it was important to. I mean, Alex Lifeson's, uh, I guess, ingredient into the band goes in so many different directions, and and personally, I think sometimes it's underappreciated. I don't think Rush would be Rush without Alex's sense of humor and his rock and roll spirit into every single one of those songs. Basically, he he, he gave us uh, details about the recordings, about, I asked him about how, if it was uh, hard for, if they were thinking about at the time, forgetting in particular, uh, about how those songs were gonna be sung live. I mean, if Getty was taking care of his voice, and uh, and Alex, uh, he, basically, he just said, well, he was having, uh, I think, uh, cigarettes and whiskey. So uh, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, but the lengthier time uh, I spent with Terry Brown, actually, uh, who was very kind with his time. With Alex, he actually wrote the answers to the questions that we asked because we had uh, quite a bit of holes in the original story that we put together, and he gave us a lot of clues into things that we didn't have at the time. But Terry Brown, we had a very long conversation, and he was he was kind enough also to do the foreword for the book, which is an incredible honor for us, you know? I mean, that guy is a master of sound, and again, I mean, he's sort of like, the fourth member of Rush, if you want to call it, you know, at, at least for those records until Signals, you know. And uh, he talked about the recording process. He helped us clean up some stuff that were not correct that we gathered from magazines and things like that. And, and again, he also, by the way, he also has a great uh, sense of humor, too, you know. He was talking about the owner of the studio, I mean, how... The basically their welcome uh, initiative for everybody was that he brought in a gigantic projector and then they played it and basically the guy was playing porn movies for the guys, <laughs> which is so weird. I think it's so freaking weird and so hilarious and it's something that I have never read before. And I can't imagine what the guys must have, must have thought about that when, when that happened. So that's in the book as well and a couple of other things that he was kind enough to share with us, you know. So it, it was for me uh, as a fan, you know, uh, an incredible treat to be able to get, I mean, fill out holes that we didn't know and also get their feedback on some of the stuff that we that we got from different sources because you know how it is when you put together a book you know there's there's so much information and then you try to gather as much data as possible i mean not to say that we wanted to make this an encyclopedia because it definitely is not and it's something that we are very clear about it we wanted to make an entertaining journey for the fans to hang with the band whilst they were uh, making the record. That was the whole point. And at the same time, giving you some anecdotes that perhaps people were not aware of, you know? And uh, so it was, it was super cool. It was a super cool experience. Well, how do you go about um, whittling down all of the information into one story? Very good question, man. It was, it was a struggle, I gotta say. Uh, we had a lot of information 
it was important for us to to have the guys sort of do recollections about the recording and not keeping it only in that time because a lot of the interviews that we had and a lot of the books that we had, basically the guys were, were having a recollection about it rather than necessarily stuff that actually was happening at the time. I think it was important for us to say, well, I mean, this was a great time because of this or that, and also show the camaraderie and the beautiful relationship that they have between the three of them, you know? It was very important for us also to show that after 40 plus years, they were brothers. You know what I mean? And if you're telling only the story to, in this particular record of that time, uh, it was not going to be enough. I, it was important for us. I mean, you do these books and then you don't know if it's going to be the last one. That's the reality, you know? And if that was going to be the only book that we did, it was important for us to show the camaraderie that they had and continued over 40 years. So that's also why we had that resource to actually stage that uh, in current interview of sort of current times between brackets, basically, and yeah. then also kind of show you with actions of what was happening and you using images to, to illustrate the songs. But just to answer your question, uh, we had a lot of details that we didn't include in the book because we thought it it's not going to be entertaining for somebody that is that is not a super hardcore fan of the band you know we try to balance and i know there's going to be because going to people that's going to be happier or not not so happy about certain things that we perhaps didn't include or or over include but we wanted the book that if you actually give it to somebody that is not a fan or doesn't know about the band that they they wanted to, they want to just inspire them to play the songs. That's what we want. We wanted them to go ahead and play Xanadu because it's a freaking amazing piece of music, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's that's what we wanted. But we also wanted to tell the story about I mean how closer to the heart was was so important for them to break into charts and things like that, which they never did before, you know? I mean, there are there are certain things that I think will connect with more with the regular people and certain things that will connect with the hardcore fans, you know, like those more obscure stories that, that perhaps people don't know, because ultimately this could be picked up by anybody. And that's, that's sort of what we wanted. David, about a month ago, Rush released a brand new video for the Spirit of Radio. Yes. And it was done by you guys. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you, man. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Look, man, I'm, I'm super proud of uh, that video and especially uh, the feedback that we've gotten from the fan base and and everybody has been overwhelming and incredible. It was a very difficult video to do. It's a song, I mean, Spirit of Radio, are you kidding me, you know? It's the, uh, it's, first of all, is the most important song for Rush in the UK, more than Tom Sawyer. Hmm. For me personally, it's one of my favorite songs, and sometimes it is my favorite song. You guys know that sometimes you're <laughs> Favorite songs right. actually change. Well, it's always in my top five Rush songs. So I was incredibly nervous when we put together the concept and, and we got the okay from Universal and the band. 
we started working on it. Uh, every so you guys know also that entire video was completely done in lockdown. Wow. We never got together to do that video. Everybody was in their homes. So the level of production and coordination that we needed, because it's five minutes. You're not talking about a, a two-minute rock and roll song. It's a five-minute song. It had many different parts, and, and we worked incredibly hard to make it as dynamic as we possibly can, knowing the importance of the song. And you know what? I mean, and this is something that also came all the time. Neil passed away, man, you know? So it was incredibly emotional for me, especially, but I know for many of the other guys that worked on the video that love the band as much as I do to actually do it right. You know what I mean? We had a section where he was playing the drums and we worked super hard for him to play the way he plays us. It's not perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect and it will never be perfect because he's the one who played like that and, and there's nothing like seeing him in real life doing it. But we wanted that to be representative of how he played and play the right cymbal and play the snare. Sometimes you see an animation and the drummer is just doing whatever and it makes absolutely no sense. But for Rush where the musicianship is such an integral and important part of their DNA and for us as fans and for for musicians in general, I thought it would be an insult if we didn't work super hard. Everyone, I'm not going to say everyone actually, a lot of the guys at the studio hated me during the, uh, during the production because it's super hard, man. I mean, if we were doing a, a, a rock and roll song that three chords and stuff, yeah, easy peasy, you know? But this is not the case whatsoever. I mean, this is a really complex song every step of the way. And we looked at Alex, I mean, at how he moved his hands. And it's, like I said, it's not perfect, but we did the absolute best we possibly could do to mimic those guys and try to, again, capture their personality. It's always super important for me to, to be able to show the world how cool these guys are. I like how you also brought in a lot of things that, uh, Rush fans who've seen them in concert can recognize, especially, you know, when um, Ga uh, Getty is doing the little hand clappy thing. I really like that. How did that come about? It's one of my favorite parts of the concert. You know, every time I saw them live, it's a very specific thing for us. And, uh, and people who are, haven't been in a Rush concert won't, won't know about it and will start asking what it is. And that's, that's cool. I learned that people don't have to know everything about a subject matter. You know, it's cool to leave some clues for them to find out and perhaps wake up their curiosity about the band of what, what the hell is those, the hand thing. I mean, can, and there were a couple of comments of people asking the question, you know, but it's something so iconic. Actually, this is very personal. It was iconic for me. You know, it was impossible for me not to think about Spirit of Radio without the hand thing of Get that Getty does in, in concert. So 
we thought it would be cool to rather than normally when you see the grids like that, you know, like Brady Bunch and uh, a bunch <laughs> of old school bin, uh, vintage series, you see the people, you know, or even the Hearts Day Night. So we thought, well, why don't we show Getty's hand kind of in different angles? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but because, again, I mean, there's uh, we wanted to show a little bit of that classic rush sense of humor uh, into the video, you know. There's little bits and bobs here and there that has that sense of humor that kept them together for so long, you know. Again, same as in the book. We try to bring that in in the stuff that we do, you know, even though their music is incredibly serious and uh, accomplished and, and a lot of their, their lyrics too, those guys, they joke around a lot. So we wanted to have a little bit of that in the video. Yeah, there's this one part where you show them in costume from that video yeah. they did. And it's just a little tidbit, but those little little items yeah. for the fans. And, yeah. and there were a lot of those in the video, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. we. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's one frame where we showed Slobovich in the video as well. <laughs> I'll have to look for it. I didn't, I didn't catch that either. Yeah, there's, there's a part where you have Slobovich and... Uh, <laughs> And Gershwin's and that part. <laughs> so there's all, but yeah, again, I mean, when we do these things, I mean, guys, th this was a dream come true for me, man. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, period, you know? Yeah. So I threw everything we possibly could and everybody else did too, you know? I'm not, uh, most people think that, you know, these kind of videos are done in the basement by, by one dude. More than 25 people worked on this video. Hmm. Wow. You know, it was a labor of love and intense labor, actually. <laughs> you know, it's a, because, because of the amount of details uh, that, that go into it to do it right, you know. And it's what those guys deserve, you know. I, I have zero reservations into everything that we did. I'm so happy that we stayed and worked on weekends and did everything that we needed to do to deliver that 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 video, you know, because people, it made the fans happy, <laughs> you know, it, it worked. And you never know if these things are going to work or not. I mean, I was terrified. I almost, I mean, if we weren't in lockdown at the time, I would have been gone to a beach or something for two days without reading anything. But I had no choice, you know, yeah. I had to read the thing and then, but Thank God everything worked out and a lot of people really liked the video, you know? It not only made me happy, I don't know about you, Jer, but at the end, I got teared up. Yeah. At the end when it says, in loving memory of our brother, Neil Peart, I, I got a little misty. Yeah. It's very emotional, David. A lot of people did, man. I mean, I got to tell you, for me personally, this scene that always gets me is when Neil is driving the red barchetta and yeah. it looks at the camera. It breaks me like in a thousand pieces. It really does. But I was like, yes, this is beautiful. This is the way it needs to be, you know. And I had the opportunity to talk with the DJs and we have, I mean, the, the, the management and, and, and the band, they were super happy to bring them along because they recognize you know how important it was the very few DJs that supported them at that stage of their career, 
and uh, I had the pleasure of talking with Donna Halper, amazing woman. I mean, she is just a badass, you know, in, in every sense of the word. It, it, what, a, what a force of nature, and uh, it was amazing to talk to her. David Marsden, one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to, you know, super nice, full of stories. Um, Jim Ladd, another one, he was super nice. That guy is a freaking broadcast legend, you know. He has interviewed everybody under the sun, and the guy couldn't be nicer and humble. And they were all like, I didn't even have to ask. They were, like, they were everybody was, I mean, Rush, are you kidding me? I mean, that shows the, uh, the relationship that they still have with the band's music, you know, and how tight they were with everything that, and how they supported them, you know. Bob Colborn, unfortunately, he passed away. So I talked with uh, with his widow, and who was very kind also to say yes and participate in the video. When we were halfway through the production, I was super nervous because it was so much, and we put so much content into what we were gonna do that I, I I'm not gonna lie. I was like, are we gonna be able to finish this on time? I mean, I, I love what we did, but it, certainly it was it was uh, it was it was intense. But you had so many beautiful moments when things started to work. You know that it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of that uh, we've ever done as a studio. Certainly, what I am most proud of so far. Truthfully, as well, anything you put on top of that song is going to be amazing. It's the song, you know. If you had a crappy song, I'm not sure if it's the song. The song, that song, always I get chills every time I listen to that tune. I God knows how many thousands of times I've listened to that tune. <clears throat> every time I get chills. When you do a video, you get tired in the end of li listening to the song over and over because you're editing and adding, editing and adding and making it better. There was no one time that I was like, I cannot listen to this song anymore. You know, and that only happens with tunes like this one. It's uh, as I said, man, I'm sorry if I sound too excited or overly gracious in terms of or, or thankful, not gracious. Uh, but it really meant a huge lot to me and everybody else to to be, be able to participate a tiny little bit in, in their legacy. You know, well, it's really fantastic, David. I know you're on limited time, so I definitely want to ask you about another video that you released uh, not too long ago. Sure. Hugh Syme, Behind the Cover of Permanent Waves. Yeah. That <laughs> was also fantastic. Uh, how, did, how did this one come about, David? Well, it's part of a series from Universal called Behind the Cover. And since they were they are releasing the 40th anniversary of Permanent Waves, they wanted to celebrate the cover of the album, which I think is fantastic. Uh, by the way, so uh, they wanted us to animate uh, an interview with you, and I got to talk to the man, you know. And what a what a nice guy, and he's a genius on on in his own right, you know, full of stories, and again, super gracious with us with his time. Uh, we talked about how the idea came together, all the challenges, and I was particularly interested in and unfortunately it's one of those things that you have to balance to make sure the piece is entertainment but I was super interested in how the hell 
did you make that without Photoshop? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Everything was hand. He would cut negatives and, and he would tell me about some chemicals that they would use to process stuff. And it was fascinating to me to listen to him. How, okay, I want this picture. And he didn't have internet. How do I find a good picture? Then he found, thought about the photographer, called the guy. It was all him. He talked about odd stories from other records that like, you know, with power windows and uh, it, it was just fascinating to me to geek and ask him key questions about the freaking album covers that I love so much, you know, because the power windows one, for example, I saw the painting at the Rush management office and it is a painting. It is a painting, a gigantic painting that he did. And it is incredible. It's one of the most beautiful paintings that I've ever seen in my life. And it was done by him. So he's not a, he's not a graphic designer only. He just paints, he composes photographs. Really, he's one of those guys that should be remembered forever. I mean, and, and honestly, not just for his, obviously his work with Rush is iconic, you right? But he also did great stuff for Megadeth. He did Dream Theater. He did a bunch of people. And there's so many covers that he's done. Aerosmith. I mean, everyone has worked with you. It, so I had an incredible amount of fun. And I, I hope it shows uh, in the piece that we did, you know, because it was, it was super fun. He, again, he's also, you can see how they could mend sense of humors uh, between him and the band. So uh, it, was, it was great. David, we've talked about a few of your favorite songs. Let's talk about some other of your favorite songs by Rush. So what are your favorite songs and how has your relation to them changed over time? That's a very good question. The very first song that I had a, a relationship from Rush was Subdivisions. You have to realize also that I didn't speak English. When I was a teenager, I only spoke Spanish, right? So I understood some English, but I learned on my own by watching TV and reading rock magazines. That's how I learned <laughs> English. So the first thing that caught me every time, it was the melody and the music, you know, the riffs. The vocal melody was always something that I looked forward to. And then... If I love the song, I would read the lyrics, and then if the lyrics are amazing, then it would get me even further on a different layer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what happened with Subdivisions to me. I mean, that, that song is still incredible. From that era, I think it's one of my favorite ones. It's one of my favorites of all, of all time, in fact. And I guess 2112, the whole, the whole thing, would be the other one that I that I absolutely love and I can listen anytime, you know. Uh, that the whole beginning, those riffs, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing piece of music. Once again, I mean, people, people don't give them enough credit in terms of the melodies and, and everything that Giddy, Giddy and, and the band put together. It transports me to a different place. When I was a teenager, I would imagine that I was playing guitar and, <laughs> uh, you know, all those ridiculous things that never happen. Uh, or, or, or I was perhaps depressed because a girl was not paying attention to me or, I mean, all those songs 
they played a role there. there you have deep emotional connections that, that never fade away, at least to me. Yeah, for me, a lot of those same songs that you mentioned too, even, even 2112, which is, you know, science fiction story, there's a truth in it. They're just, a, they're just truthful songs, whether it's about personal thing or about, you know, a story in general. There's something about them, even musically, that's just true. Yes, I agree. They're, because I think they were honest to their vision. They were not pursuing, oh, yeah, this, this, this is what's happening. So let's go ahead and do something like that. However, I mean, they, they did incorporate stuff that was happening around them. And I admire that immensely because that takes gods to go ahead and say, well, we're going to do something different. You know, they could have continued to do concept albums, you know, they could have done that easily. And they, they had a fan base behind them. But it's so cool to see them trying to find the next thing over and over and over again. Whether, I mean, whether you like it or not, you know, I totally admire the true spirit of being an artist of and try to find what is it that ticks you at that moment in time, I guess, you know. So, David, what's next for Fan Tunes? Anything Rush-related in your future that you can tell us about? Yes, actually, this book. All right. The paperback edition of the Farewell to King's graphic novel. Uh, it's printed, and it should be in shops on October 20th. I'm hoping it's going to be about a month before in our store and Rush Backstage as well. Well, David, I know I speak for all Rush fans by saying we really appreciate the work you're doing. It really is fantastic, and we thank you for joining us on the Rush Fancast. Uh, thank you guys for inviting me. You guys, I feel like uh, we're old pals. <laughs> <laughs> we feel like we're old pals, too, so we feel the same way. Thank you. So, Jared, talk about doing something for a living that you love. How cool would it be to do animation for a living and work with Rush? I know. I mean, how great is that? Yeah, how does how does one make that happen? Well, David made it happen. I mean, he's living the he's living the dream. Yep. He's living his dream. The dream of a rush fan who happens to be an animator. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe you have to be extremely talented and, and have drive <laughs> and purpose. <laughs> maybe that's the missing element in our lives. Maybe it is. But um but like you were saying, I mean, Fantoons has lots of great stuff on the website, rush related. Yeah, it's random stuff that you would never think of. It's great. You know, we were talking about baseball earlier. My favorite thing on their website is the the knockoff of the Major League Baseball logo. Have you seen this? Yeah, I did, yeah. It's Major Lee Baseball, and it's Getty <laughs> Lee holding a base instead of the guy with with the baseball bat. Right. They have it in a mug. They used to have it in a T-shirt, and I never got it, and I'm I'm pissed I never got that. Yeah, that's awesome. But I think I'm going to have to get that mug. Well, your birthday's coming up. There you go. There you go. You have a gift idea now. I was going to say, I'll tell someone close to you to buy it for you. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram. We are the Rushcast. Email Jerry. Please do it. He loves to get your emails. The Rushcast at gmail.com. And Jer, it's that time of the day again. Do you have a quote for me? I do. Can you believe it? I, I really honestly can't believe it, honestly. I know. When we do interviews, my brain is on the interview and not on 
I don't know, doing the rest of the stuff we do. So here it is. Raise the art to resistance. Danger, dare to be grand. Pride reduced to humble pie. Diamonds down to sand. Beautiful. Mm, it is. Have a good one. All right, thanks. Thanks.